Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast that highlights cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find stories filled with explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find interviews with authors who create crime fiction filled with intriguing plots, engaging characters, and high-quality writing. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm, Lex- I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Maria Marotti joins me in the corner today to chat about her novel, The Etruscan Princess. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me. Oops, and I apologize, my computer is uh, deciding it wants to talk to me today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk to you too. <laughs> Now, the Etruscan Princess is part of the Captain Fusco mystery series. Would you tell us about your detective and what he's up to this time out? Yes. Well, um, the first volume was a question of class, and it was set on a um, coastal Pacific coast town, university town. And uh, I won't go into too much detail about that one. <laughs> it came quite a few years ago. I'm going to republish it next month. Or actually, in a month and a half or so, I want to do that. Uh, but anyway, right now he's up to vacation. He wants to go on a vacation, on a holiday in Italy. His girlfriend is already there, um, and she's a researcher. And he wants to convince her to marry him. And so he's looking forward to this romantic um, opportunity. And then uh, something happens. They run into a, the witness, a kidnapping. And so they get entangled into that. And she's a little bit of a slut, the girlfriend, Valentina. And, and he's a more traditional performing kind of guy. He's, you know, he knows his limits. He knows that he's in a different country. So he cannot really uh, work the way he would at his job back in California. But nonetheless, he, he cannot really um, turn his face, cannot really disentangle himself from this crime that he has witnessed. And so they, they go into some thriller situation here and there, but at the same time, they explore Italy and, uh, and the food. The food is very important. It's important in this book as it's important in previous book. Um, I like to eat, I like to cook, <laughs> I'm Italian. <laughs> it goes with the description. <laughs> well, I am certainly going to ask you about Italian cooking, but um, before I do that, uh, tell us a little more about what led you to set this story in Italy. I don't know, I probably this nostalgia, uh, probably because I had not been in Italy for a while and uh, Every time uh, I noticed that every time I went to Italy, I felt somewhat happy, happier than I am anywhere else. And I traveled quite a bit, and I, you know, the places are beautiful too. And it's not, um, you know, not when I say Italy is the most beautiful, but it, it is a beautiful country, definitely interesting. But there are other countries too. But because maybe I, I was brought up there, 
when I go, um, well, all my family is there. They're very happy to see me. So I'm at the center of attention. And who doesn't like that? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then the food, of course, you know, the food is there. And, and, it's, and I, I don't cook it, I, I eat it. And, and, and then there are different uh, regional specialties and uh, different uh, things that happen in different places, different ways of living. They, they are quite interesting to me. And so there is that too, you know, the opportunity to, to talk about that. That's talk about something that I know. Um, I never talk about things that I don't know. <laughs> Even though I have a fertile imagination, I still prefer to talk about things or places that I know and they mean a lot to me. So that's one thing. Now, when, when you tell the story, you tell it from several different points of view. So what were some of the challenges of getting inside the head of so many different characters? You know, it's not for me a challenge. It's something that I really welcome. It comes very natural to me. I am some kind of an empath. So I quite easily get into people's heads. And, uh, and it's not always to my benefit, by the way. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I were not <laughs> so perceptive and boring to me, <laughs> but I end up, especially when uh, uh, people are suffering, I, I absorb that a lot. And maybe being a doctor, you understand that. <laughs> and some people are like that. And so, and, you know, um, for a while I was actually, once I left, left uh, academia, I um, studied psychology, became a hypnotherapist, helped people stop smoking. And it was a very interesting experience for me and successful to my thoughts of people. But uh, see, with uh, hypnotherapy, it, it's this, you have to be quick in, in figuring out the person because it's not then, then uh, you know, we'll see you next week and then next week and next week. Yeah, maybe a couple of sessions, but after that, no, if you <laughs> if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. That's the end of it. And uh, no, uh, you really need to have, uh, that's when I started using my empath abilities in a positive way. And, um, and because I also helped me to set up boundaries so that at the end of the session, I was done. I was totally present then, and then there was it, it was gone but I needed to understand immediately what made those people smoke and what was the possibility of stopping. So that was an interesting experience. So going back to your question, how do I get into people's heads? I do, I just do, I don't know how that happens, but I do get into people's heads. I listen, and this is, I think every writer does that. I listen a lot to what people say, the inflection, the expression of the face, their physical appearance, how they, they look like. There is something there that is fascinating for me in the real life and therefore writing. In a sense, it's a, it's a very good and very healthy way for me to process process what, what I'm facing. So do you, tell, do, you tell, do you tell all of your stories with multiple points of view or do you ever say, well, this story would work better with a single point of view character or, is, or does it just sort of come out in whatever way it uh, is yeah. best for the story is what happens? I'm, I must say that even though there are some predominant point of view, like 
Puska's point of view is definitely predominant. And then the second one is his girlfriend. And then the third one too, the, the character of the, the young woman who got abducted and got kidnapped. Definitely, those are important. But it is, it is also, um, yeah, I, I would say yes, yes. All my stories have more than one point of view. And, and how would you categorize the Etruscan princess? Would you call it a traditional mystery, a thriller, a romantic suspense story? I would say it's a mixed genre because there are various genres there. But that, yes, it is an overall in the mystery category. Um, it's a, it is traditional, not so much because it's, some parts of it are cozy, um, the, the travel, the food, um, the fact that even though the, the crime is there, but I would say that I don't concentrate too much on the crime per se. And even the previous one is the same way. I mean, there's got to be a crime, otherwise, what kind of crime story is it? <laughs> but <laughs> but I, don't, I don't spend too much time on that. It's more the discovery and finding out what really happened. And some of it is not, um, the detective here is not the one who really discovers. He finds a way out. He finds a way of saving the victim, but he, he doesn't know everything. There are other characters who bring in pieces and then he puts them together. So it's, that's how it is. He's basically non-professional there. He's not using his professional. He does something that maybe he could end up in jail for it <laughs> if he really wanna. Uh, but we leave that, we're just gonna let it go. <laughs> Now, shifting back to, to Italy, as, as you mentioned uh, before, there, there are many different regions of Italy, and those regions play important roles in the story. You know, for instance, uh, there, uh, it matters whether a character has a Roman versus a Calabrian accent. Uh, in another part, it matters uh, whether they, you know, some regions of Rome salt their bread and some don't. Uh, so for, for those of us who aren't familiar with Italy, would you tell us a little bit about the different regions and how you use them as significant plot elements? Yeah, they are a very significant plot element. Clearly, it's diverse, diversity. And diversity for me is an important theme. Uh, and maybe some Italians even don't realize that and they'll always live in their region. Uh, but uh, it's not a good thing. I think it is very good to instead explore the different places and explore different cultures. They're very different cultures in, in, in different parts. Italy is a country that was invaded many times, so it has absorbed uh, the culture of other countries as well. And that it matters a lot. Um, there are differences in the way people live, class differences, as well as uh, origins. So that's, that is really, and they're also a source of humor, you know, and a source of uh, uh, observations that are lighthearted. Um, and the food is different, totally different from, from, and of course, okay, the Calabrian accent. So uh, it's interesting to, to know where these people, these kidnappers come from, um, because for example, north of Rome, the, in the lake area around, North of Rome, in these really nice little lakes and, and towns, 
One predominant crime is the, the tombs, the tomb raiders. Getting to the Etruscan tombs and you know take stuff and then sell it to uh, collectors. Now, obviously, if there were no demand for the for the um, art artifacts, I would say that then there would be no crime, but there is. <laughs> and so it goes both ways, and not only the tomb raiders, but also the very um, oh, um, culturally evolved <laughs> um, people who collect these kind of things and don't want to pay. I mean, here's the, I, the inspiration about that actually was um, I think it happened a few uh, a few decades ago. Um, some collectors found a very valuable statue in the waters, Italian waters, and they just brought it to the U.S. and sold it to the Getty Museum. And the Getty Museum didn't want to return it because it, says they, it was found in the water. Yes, but the water is the part of the territory. <laughs> so the Italian Ministry of Art went on and on with this, and eventually they won. They had to return it and return it immediately. Yeah, so that that was very interesting. So I remember that one thing, and I may be maybe not totally accurate in the details, but that's a basic story. So that was one thing. So crime of that kind in, in north of Rome is very common because there are many tombs, you know, many Etruscan tombs, and it's so easy to get in and so easy to get the stuff and, and and go. So the Etruscan princess actually was taken from a museum. Another problem, Italy does not really have the money to keep all these artifacts and to keep, uh, to keep them safe. So that's another problem that comes up quite often. And um, uh, so now if we, however, you know, so where do these come from? Okay, so they must be, if there is Calabrian person, they must be connecting to some other criminals from different regions. And we all know that there is a, is a strong mafia in, the, um, in Naples, which is called Camorra, and in other parts of Italy, and in Southern Italy too. Um, so this, this too, so if it's Calabrian, it's maybe likely that some kind of mafia must have got entangled into that. And in fact, pretty soon as, as, as they find out that someone has been following them and found out what they were doing, they sell her, they sell her Caterina to the main organization to And so, okay, so that again, and then there are lots of ones you get to Naples, um, dialects, the way of talking, and who are these people that keep them? Well, mostly young people. There is enormous poverty, very disparity, very wealthy and very poor. So they're very poor, um, you know, snatch purses and and um, sell drugs, and they work in in, in keeping this this young woman, uh, you know, who has been uh, kidnapped. So they in the, their uh, way of talking, it's, it, there is a lot of vulgarity there, I, I must say, and you know they, they are they are definitely not well educated and they're not educated at all, and they are very unhappy and very uh, very fragile, you know, emotionally fragile, you know. So, so that's that's another another thing, you know, full of drugs and weapons, you know. So that's that's a dangerous situation, very explosive. 
So, so how did you uh, approach, because you know, normally drugs and guns and the mafia, that's the sort of thing you find in, in hard boiled explicit thriller. So how did you take such a gritty subject and turn it into a traditional mystery where it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not bloody and it's not over, overly violent. How, how did you handle such a tough subject for a, a book that's more on the, the gentler side? Well, you know, even the criminals, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> they're traumatized people. So um, I, I look at that from that point of view. That's one way. It's not only a question of shooting. The shooting that, okay, I avoided. I avoided major. So they end up not killing her. Um, and and the, the good part is there is the journalist there. So he's kind of protecting her, making her life more bearable. They become friends. And then they even... Um, developed an infatuation for each other. So that there is this romantic theme going on. And the romantic theme is throughout the book and that's how I managed to, to keep uh, the violence down and, and the, the serious crime down because there is always that. There is between the detective and his girlfriend, okay, they, they have their issues, but they substantially are a good couple and solid. And, and then they evolve through that very much. Their initial, um, they start with an initial pain, obviously. He, he wants more stability in their relationship. She wants to have a child. And neither one of them has found that a way <laughs> to, to get to that. And by the end, by the end they, they will, of course, they, they evolve enough through the solving the crime, to doing this work for to save another person. Uh, it brings out the best out of them and their ability to, uh, oh, look at the kitty. <laughs> I have a cat too. And, and so that, you know, that does something to, to evolve them. So I think I focused on the evolution. It's basically, someone said it's a novel of evolution uh, where character evolve and they're revealed gradually. So at first, you know, it, Katerina sounds like a real bitch, but then, but then, but then she, you, you see her wounds. And when you start understanding her wounds, then she, and, and her ability to evolve too. And then, yeah, once the drugs are taken away because she cannot really continue with her jolly life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's, she does that. And, and, uh, and every character finds a way of evolving through, through the story. So that's how I kept it from focusing too much on the violent side. It's mentioned. Um, the, the language is what it is. Not extreme, but there is some language there. But on the other end, um, there is, there's more to, to that than than what appears. Yeah, if, I, if you get into people's heads, then obviously you will find good and bad, you know, so that's. <laughs> now you mentioned um, the Etruscan tombs and the, um, you know, the, the, the market for stolen artifacts. Um, but Etruscan though, that doesn't, refer, that doesn't refer to a current region of Italy, right? That refers to an ancient civilization? No, civilization, a very ancient civilization prior to the Romans. So can you imagine how old that is? But they were very, very mysterious because we don't know the language. So there is a lot that we don't know. 
what we have though are the artifacts very elegant and beautiful um it it's really amazing how beautiful they are and also we know that the etruscans um we're connecting with the greeks in 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 exchanging goods and and so they also learned from the greeks which obviously much more refined civilization than the Roman civilization. And they, and they exchanged goods and, and they learned more. And you can see some aspects of the Greek art, Greek art in the Greek uh, Etruscan civilization. So that's, that's one aspect. Um, so this is, this is one thing. Um, yes, it is an ancient civilization um, way prior to the Romans. And then, of course, uh, evolution. The Romans were the locals. They were pretty rustic and not very developed. Uh, they learned from the Etruscans and, and, and evolved too. So, and, so that's a, um, there are some characters, some characteristics of the Roman paintings that is hard to know whether they're Roman or Etruscan because they, they seem, yeah, these eyes, elongated eyes, because the Etruscans came from Asia Minor, so from, so they were Oriental, so their eyes are different from the eyes of the local Romans. So that's uh, in, in the paintings. It's very interesting to watch how, um, civilization intermingle and evolve. Yeah. And, and another very interesting part, and probably one of the, the, the best parts is the food, as, as we mentioned. It yes. always comes back to the food, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you talked about how important the Italian cuisine is to your story. Um, again, those of us not familiar with Italy, especially Americans, you know, we, we have an image of what we think of as Italian food which probably has nothing to do with actual Italian food. So can you tell us a little bit more about the cuisine, especially the, the regional differences in some of it? Oh yeah, no, there are clearly regional differences that are connected to what the, the land produces, you know, so that the south uh, fruits and vegetables, you know, it, it's, it's very, uh, they're very ripe and, and juicy and spicy and all that. It's, it's a much more spicy food. Um, more garlic, more onions, more all of that. Um, the North, no, it is not that way. Still very good, but it is different. Um, so even something as simple as beans and pasta, uh, which is a very common um, dish is done in a completely different way in the South and the North. So there are differences like that. Um, pasta, um, definitely it's cooked better in the South and Rome. Rome is the best pasta. <laughs> but even, even pizza is completely different. Um, however, rice, oh no, the North is, the rice is cooked differently and it is very good. <laughs> the, so well-known risotto, it's definitely from the north, not from the south. You know, when I eat risotto in the, in the south, you know, the pasta, yes. <laughs> or any vegetable for that matter, it's very good. And there's, there's much more meat up north than there is in the 
southern cuisine. Southern cuisine is more fish. If it is coastal fish, is very good. Yeah. So that's these are some essential guidelines. Pizza. Pizza in Naples is soft and full of olive oil. It's very good, but I mean, it's quite different. If you go to Rome, very thin, very, very thin. And, and, and you mentioned the bread. The bread in Tuscany and right north of Rome, no salt, it's unsalted. So in order to figure out uh, where she is, the kidnapped woman, Caterina, this, 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 the, the bread and he says, oh yeah, I'm north of Rome because clearly this is unsalted. So they didn't take, but once you get to, to Naples, it's a completely different story, different kinds of pizza. And, and you know, it, it, it has a, a juicy quality and the bread has salt. And so it, it, see, you can point, pretty much figure out where you are depending on what you eat, even though you don't, you know, you haven't on your face and everything, but you can pre pretty much figure it out. And what, what are some of your favorite Italian dishes? Oh. <laughs> Oh. I'm on a diet. So. <laughs> well, I do like pasta, but there are various kinds. You know, there's so many. It's too genetic to say I like pasta. There, there are many other ways of of, uh, um, of cooking it. In the, a question of class, the, the book that I wrote before and then I'm going to republish, I wrote the entire recipe of pasta puttanesca, which is one of my favorite things, and I do very often at home. And it is from the south. And it's from it's a Sicilian dish, and um, um, it so there is an entire scene where two friends, two women friends, talk and they cook at the same time. And then she said that while she did this, and then she <laughs> while she did this, and this other thing, and it keeps on going like this. So. I was told after published, many people read and said, oh, I, by the way, I immediately went to the kitchen and started doing it. Because, and it's good. It's really good. So I thought it was very humorous. I tried that. And it, it, it is, see, this is the cozy element, really, in, in, the, in the book. The people eat and they look forward to eating, to, to eating food as a way of knowing the culture, as a way of uh, relaxing, as a way of just being hungry and not being hungry anymore and, and going several hours without eating and wanting something to, to, to make them feel better. But there is the element um, that goes on throughout the book, I think. And, um, and, and it's, yeah, as I said, it's always very good and, and all that. So yes, pasta alla puttanesca, which is a fast dish, it's easy to make, but it is really delicious. It's quite quite a, a remarkable dish. And if, if you had to pair a, a wine with it, which wine would you recommend? You know, I'm not good with wine. I don't drink <laughs> or very little, not enough to develop a, a sense. I, I do like Pinot Grigio, you know, Pinot Grigio. Yeah, it, I like that. And it's from mostly from the north. Um, and I, there are some wines in um, in uh, up north in Piedmont, like Barolo and Barbera. Those are really nice wines, um, red wines that I used to like a lot. 
yeah, especially Barolo is can be remarkable. Yeah. But I don't drink anymore, so <laughs> not for any special reason, I just got out of it. <laughs> it's hard to find, you know, what you want. And so you just I just ah, it's not. <laughs> So we don't really drink at home occasionally. I mean, if we are if with friends, we may, but it's not a habit. So I'm no expert. <laughs> and then it, you may have noticed that I don't, I don't have that much. I don't mention the wine very much because I don't, I don't drink. And, and how do you decide which uh, recipes or which meals to include in your stories? Is it just, uh, I mean, do you just pick your favorites or is there some aspect of the story that inspires the, what the characters are eating or preparing? Depends where they are. That's that, in that I was very specific. So, okay, they're North. So they're gonna eat in Venice. There, there are some specific dishes that you find only there, you know, and it's very rare. You can find them anywhere else. I mean, so, or, you know, various things like that, that are typical. And the polenta, it's rare that you find it south, uh, but definitely you will find it in the, in the Veneto region. And they are, yeah, that's, so that's an example. And instead, um, pasta with, with, you know, spaghetti with, um, some kind of, of fish with a, okay, that's that's more south or part of the south. So that, so yes, it, it, the food is connected to where they go, basically. I'm I'm pretty careful with that. Yes. Yeah. And 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 where do you where do you go next? You mentioned that you're republishing your first book. Are you? Um, is is that what you're mainly working on now? Or are you working on any other projects? I'm working on two projects. One is republishing that book and um, with very few changes. Some changes will happen, but they're not that many. Um, and that I had a little bit of a technical disadventure, misadventure, and it was that I, um, well, um, the publisher of that book, it was a traditional publisher, has disappeared, basically. It's not in business anymore. So. Here I have a few copies of that book, but um, I could I tried to scan it, but I it, it didn't work out very well. And even when I tried to find a formatter who would help me, I couldn't find anybody. Lately, I found, or rather my partner found a really good formatter and and a good um, and especially a good scanner who digitalized it very nicely. And so that's good. So there are very few things, and I formatter is gonna take care of those little things. And that's very nice. So that allows me to, to republish it. And also now I have a, an actor doing the audiobook because by the way, the Traskan Princess is, is on three platforms. And so will be the other one too, the Equestino class. Um, so, um, so the paperback, ebook, but also audiobook. So the, this one too will, uh, will be coming up with that. Now, my other project, I finished the rough draft and I am redoing another book that I'm gonna be publishing. See, another, another stream for me is always uh, animals. It's been now for many years. I write stories from the point of view of dogs and cats. So um, I'm sure you appreciate because you have a cat. 
<laughs> and they have their stories in their heads and I get into their heads too. I may be totally wrong. I may be wrong, but you know what? I don't care. <laughs> that's how, I, that's what I, I feel is not the zoological, <laughs> um, you know, or scientific. I'm not, I don't get into it in a scientific way, but there's some kind of intuition there. I, I know what they're thinking. <clears throat> I'm, no long ago, I lost my, the love of my life, a beautiful border collie, oh, female, and it was just so devastating to lose her. But with her, she would look at me and, and tell me a complete story that I knew what she was saying, totally. And, and now I have a cat, and the, and the cat, and it's been with us a long time, but the cat too, is, is I know what he wants. And, you know, my friend said, what does he want? Does he want to eat or does he want attention? I don't know. No, he wants, he wants to eat now. No, no, no. He wants attention. He doesn't care about food. So th there is this, <laughs> I know, I know what he wants. <laughs> and and um, so I make him the protagonist and the narrators of my stories. And, and so the, the next book that I'm finishing up now is called The Saint was the, the one dog that I had previously and that was just angelical and so patient. She was so ill, but never complained. I mean, as long as I gave her the attention that she needed, everything was fine. She was amazing. And then there was the, the angel with the, the dog who died recently and the mean cat, because the cat is on the surface mean, but he's not mean, he's just traumatized. So <laughs> that's my theme. <laughs> And, and so that, that's, uh, you know, that's I, and in the, these two, um, Liddy, <laughs> Liddy said, the two dogs <laughs> talk to him, and he's the one who listens to them. And so the older one that died before um, was the one who, who told him the difference between inside voice and outside voice. And he would talk too loud inside the house. And I saw situations in which the dog would go say, hey, hey, keep it down. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then, but he never learned, but that's okay. But the intention was there to teach him a little bit of manners. And then, and he would obsess about things like, you know, he, he had semi-destroyed my bed with his claws and, and then I got rid of that bed and got another one that he could not get underneath, you know, there was no legs. And so he, he was crying for three days. He cried and cried and would come to me, please bring back my bed. And it was all like this. And then the, the dog lost her patience. Hey, <laughs> barked on his nose. It was just hilarious to watch. So these are, you know, dogs, and, and they are the, the, in a sense, I live a cozy life. You know, I, I'm, I'm interested in food and in cooking, and I'm interested in my apartment, my house, my, you know, the things that are there, and I'm interested in my animals, especially the way they they communicate with us and um, enrich our lives a lot. I mean, it just teaches some tremendous lessons. Are, are your animal stories are they are they mysteries too or are they comedies or no they're not mysteries they're just the everyday life as is perceived and also mysterious things how what they you know what they went through with previous owners i end up always with dogs who are not too healthy actually so they don't last me very long unfortunately because of that 
but they're dogs that nobody wants. So I ended up lined up with that. And um, somehow at this point, I would like to have a, a healthy dog for a little while for a change. <laughs> and, but who knows? Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> so so your, your stories uh, serve as a, as a way to sort of uh, deepen your understanding of them and, and keep their, their memory alive? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. I was thinking if, if, if my cat was in a book, it would have to be a murder mystery because she would probably turn out to be the murderess. <laughs> and who is the victim? <laughs> Mom? Yeah, it might be me. I might be sleep with one eye open from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this cat, I don't think it, it is the murderer anymore. He's older. But when he was younger, yes, he, he, he killed a lot of birds, sorry to say, and rats and, and uh, mice. And uh, we bring it in too. And uh, it was meant as a gift to me, uh, but I didn't appreciate it too much. <laughs> <laughs> I kept telling him, you don't need to do this. <laughs> I, I, I have enough money to go to the supermarket and buy something. <laughs> I don't need to eat that. But he kept on going and going for years. Uh, oh, well. And now, um, where, where can readers buy a copy of the Etruscan Princess or, or your, your animal books? Or um, I know you said they're in the different formats. Where can, they, where can they find those? Well, if they want a paperback or an ebook, I would say to Amazon easily. Yes, my marketplace. Um, there would be some copies also of the paperbacks in local bookstores, but I, and I, because I self-publish, I don't really have the ability to um, lend it in other uh, bookstores outside my, my city, you know. And um, so that's how it is. And then uh, there is the, well, the audiobook through Audible, which is also part of Amazon. So that's depending what format uh, inspires them most, you know. I use a lot of um, ebooks because I have too many books. See, my career is a academic, it kind of ruined me. <laughs> so I bought books and books and books and books, but you know, I eliminated quite a few, but there's still still too many. And if I keep on buying at the same rhythm that I read, oh uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's too cluttered. <laughs> So ebooks have that, they eliminate the clutter. So they're very good for traveling too. Now, I have not tried the audiobooks. I'm the same, a little bit old style, but uh, that's also something to consider. So if you travel to work, which I don't, obviously I work at all, but if you travel to work and you have long, yeah, I live in California and so sometimes uh, the commute is long, especially if you're in the Los Angeles area. So that's that's one way to make it more pleasant is to listen to an audiobook. So that's another possibility. So they're also good for road trips. So if anyone's traveling this summer, an audiobook is a, a nice alternative to the radio while you're traveling. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. 
And uh, where, where can readers uh, connect with you? You have a website, are you on Facebook or other social media? I have definitely have a website, yes. Um, my website is Maria Marotti Author. And so it's easy to get in there. I occasionally blog and I transfer my blog post to Facebook. I do have a Facebook page, author is author. Again, Maria Marotti author. So that's easy to connect with me. And I would like to, to have uh, readers connect with me. It would be very interesting to see what they have to say and what they liked or disliked. It would be in, in, in evolution for me. Now, I'm sure you'd uh, dis discuss Italian cooking with them more. <laughs> <laughs> if they want to. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me in the corner today, Maria. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was delightful talking to you. And, uh, and uh, thank you for being uh, understanding of the interruption by my cat. <laughs> oh, well, I thought that was very nice, actually. It's very cute. <laughs> and I hope he saves you and doesn't murder you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Maria Moratti, author of The Etruscan Princess. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review. Help me keep bringing you fun and informative chats with authors of cozy and traditional mysteries by supporting the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>